I do think I have good meaning for life. It's just that I feel like things are way too easy. I had this thought in my mind 10 years ago that would be like really awesome to work on Bitcoin things and not really have to have a fiat job. Well, I got that. Then I also realized that when I got a little bit deeper into Bitcoin stuff that I would really want to focus on doing something really, really meaningful. And I feel like working on Bitcoin and especially like working on Bitcoin privacy is probably one of the most urgent things that we should be working on. This is the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke DeWolf. And we love to expand our freedom footprint. We hope you do too. The best way to do that is, of course, to emit as much freedom dioxide as possible. The best tool we have for doing that is, of course, Bitcoin. Before we dive into today's show, we'd just like to tell you a little bit about how you can support us. First, to support us directly with Bitcoin, visit our Geyser page at geyser.fund slash project slash freedom. Or you can send us stats directly to freedom at geyser.fund. You can also support us as you listen by listening to the podcast on Fountain. The app is available on Apple and Android and you can stream sats or send a boost. It's the easiest way to support the show just by listening normally. And if you don't care too much about Luke, you can always visit knutsvanholm.com where you can buy my fabulous wine, my books, and a t-shirt or two. And if you don't feel like supporting your fellow Bitcoiners at all, at least like, subscribe, and brush your teeth. But seriously, that stuff actually helps. It would be great if you could subscribe to the YouTube channel, like the videos, send us a comment or leave us a review. All this stuff really helps the show. Seriously, click the damn bell. So thanks for tuning into the show and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. Today's guest is our good friend Rafe from Wasabi. And this is the second time on the show. If you want an introduction to Rafe and everything that he's up to, uh, check out the first episode. But today we want to talk about anything and everything. So, Rafet, welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show. Great to have you as always. Thank you very much, Luke. Thank you, Kno, too. Like, it's also like really awesome to be talking with you guys again. Yeah, great to have you back, uh, uh, Rafa. And uh, you're already on Madeira, as we understand it. Yeah, there's this sovereign engineering cohort uh, that has been going on over here, like already for like six weeks. I mean, I just came in uh, like two weeks ago, but it's really, really awesome. Like there's, you know, like 25 uh, Noster and Bitcoin builders basically in here just creating havoc and, you know, trying to orange build the whole island. And I mean, it's actually going pretty well. Uh, fantastic. It's Gigi and Pablo's project, right? Uh, yes, yes. They are mainly running it. Yeah, sounds sounds absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean, this is a really nice paradise island. So, like, if you can take a little bit of your time to come over here before the conference or to stay after it, I think it's going to be worth it. Yeah. Uh, and you you have a bunch of topics that you want to talk to us about today. And I, I looked through the, the notes there, and it sounds really, really interesting. So I think we can just start getting into, into stuff here, because, like, th these are topics that just excite me by just reading reading them so the first point on that list is censorship and i guess uh or no the first point is it doesn't not matter who i am um all right i'll i'll take it away rafa <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is the first thing of like you know it doesn't matter who i am it's just the thing that i've always wanted to say and i always wonder like you know how I mean, it's totally normal that in every podcast you're being asked, like, you know, who you are and what do you do? It's an important context for the viewer or the listener. But it's also something that a little bit bothers me that no one is actually saying it out loud, or at least I haven't heard it whenever they are asked that question, that it doesn't matter who I am. Like it, so, so who are you, I, roughly? You know, 
<laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm still kind of figuring it out. But the point is basically that like what I'm saying is the thing that should matter. It's not really about who I am or who is saying it. Like if the things that I'm saying out there, like if they make sense, that's the only thing to care about. Who said it or where or when or something like that. I mean, it might help you to get a little bit more of that similar type of content or something. But in general, people should not be looking into like, you know, some kind of titles or or anything like that. Yeah, no, but- no, no. I, I, I totally agree. It's an ego dropping thing. And this is one of the most refreshing things about the Bitcoin space and a comparison to the fiat space uh, that <laughs> that I know. Like uh, when I started working in an office and fiat job, like before I, I had a title or, or like before I climbed the hierarchy ladders, uh, before I started climbing them, like no one was listening to me because it's all, it's all about like uh, titles and, and stuff. And I think a lot of institutions are that way too. So, so like, uh, but Bitcoin is it's so refreshing because like everything that matters is ideas and merits and like it's, it's a true meritocracy in that way. People don't really care about your background as long as you have something clever to say. And like Satoshi is the prime example of that. Like nobody even knows if he has a master's degree or (laughs) if he's flipping burgers or if he was flipping burgers. And nobody cares because the idea was good enough. Is that what you're thinking of when you say it doesn't matter who I am? Yes, exactly. And it's just like, you know, I'm really glad that Luke, now you basically just gave me exactly like, you know, the... A good introduction where I don't have to go ahead and try to even explain like, you know, who I am or what I do or anything. Just like in Twitter, I just have in my bio, like I'm just another pleb, like it doesn't really matter. But yeah, this was just like, you know, a small nuance that I wanted to throw out there. Like if, you know, Luke would be asking me to introduce myself. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's been back and forth, like people in Bitcoin have different opinions on uh, the role of the ego. So some people want us to drop our egos completely, and there's a there's a very good reason for doing that because most of the time your ego is what's hind- what's actually hindering you from getting ahead in life. Like being shy is just as much of an ego thing as being narcissistic in a way, because if you're shy, that's also a vanity thing. Like you you're not giving the world the parts of you that you could give away, like you could, you could be more open, you could be more, but for, for egotistical reasons, you're not. So, so I think like, uh, there's more to dropping your ego than just not being a narcissist. Um, then, then you have people like Svetsky, for instance, arguing for that ego is a very good thing. And it's a, it's a powerful force in people and it should be embraced rather than dropped. So what, what are your views on ego? in general? Uh, I mean, that's a very good question. And I mean, I kind of totally understand both points of view. Um, like it's at least for me personally, I try to totally exactly like kill my ego every now and then, uh, because I feel like it makes me think a bit more clear. Like, I mean, maybe this is a, a good segue to kind of like the topic of, you know, human relationships and like, you know, how our brains work. Uh, but at least in my opinion, ego is kind of like a, a part of the, the automatic self. So like there's this book uh, that I might have mentioned to you guys before, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is really, really, really like worth reading. 
but it basically gives out this like idea, or at least how I took it was that it's not really about like, you know, humans being fully conscious or like hundred percent all the time there. It's that we have just glimpse of consciousness and majority of our time, majority of our actions and our day basically goes just like through automation, just through our habits, just like with animals. There's just these, let, let's say like 5% of the time, we get this glimpse of consciousness where we actually think of like, you know, what, like we can think back or uh, like look forward or, or whatever. I kind of feel like, well, ego is a bit more of those like automation related things. It's kind of, you are building up this like uh, small story of, of yourself and what you are and what do you do over here. And I mean, you can think of it consciously too, but it's just something that like automation basically like activates the ego and pushes you to, to move into certain directions or make certain decisions. And I, I think it is important, but I, myself personally, like I would, I would want to focus on just the like cognitive side and actually thinking things through without like, you know, just the personal lens of mine, which of course is important too, but. Yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do though, to be ob as objective as possible. But I guess like, uh, yeah, uh, we have minds, um, all three of us that, that like doing that. I mean, we wouldn't be into mathematics and praxeology and stuff. If we didn't, we wouldn't, we would probably wouldn't be Bitcoiners. I, I think that's sort of prerequisite for, for, for real Bitcoin curiosity, uh, at least. Yeah. The, da Daniel Kahneman, <laughs> was that the guy? Daniel Kahneman, was that the, the, uh, the guy who wrote the book, right? I, I think I read half that book, but it was a long, long time ago. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'll have to reread it sometime. Yeah. And it's also kind of like hard to read, or, I mean, I, I tend to listen to it like in, you know, audiobooks. but that book was something where I actually had to take like a pen and paper and like, you know, write some things and numbers down. So I actually understand the, the examples and, you know, things the book had over there, but it's to me, at least it's definitely like one of the most powerful books that I've read, like understanding human biases and what. We are kind of like, you know, our, like programmed to do uh, as just another life form. Yeah. Can you, can you just give us the tip? Tell us more about that, like more about what you, what you learned there. So, um, I mean, the book is, uh, about basically, well, at least how I took it. <laughs> I mean, ma many people seem to have a little bit different ideas about like what the book is trying to say over there. Uh, but at least to me, it's kind of like, you know, acknowledging how there is basically like two selves in our heads, uh, you know, like there's the, the automated cell, which is basically like, you know, just animal instincts and like emotions and just reactions. And then there is like exactly this, like, you know, smaller, uh, cognitive side, like, and it's kind of like the one that can actually think, you know, in the past and it can look into the future, look into the, like the current like situation and everything. It's the one that kind of like the most people seem to be thinking that that's their own like self. Uh, but it's like the book is basically saying that, you know, for majority of the things that you're doing uh, throughout the day, it's not really that you have cognitively decided to do so. Like, for example, if I smoke a cigarette, majority of the time, it's just automated. Like it's something that triggered me, like, you know, to actually do the move of like reaching out to my pocket and grabbing a cigarette or something like that. And I kind of realize it only after I'm halfway through the cigarette, like, why am I smoking this? Like, how did this happen? You know, like. 
I am, or let's say like, you know, running, um, like driving in, in traffic or like, you know, uh, with a car, that's usually something also that first, when it's a new thing to you, you have to activate your cognitive side to actually remember, like, you know, how do you drive a car? Like, especially if it has like, you know, shifts and everything like that's very cumbersome and like, it takes a lot of energy. So we try to save this cognitive side and not use it for the most of the time. Try to always like use it as like, you know, little as possible and then pass the task to the automated side. So for example, with a car, we have probably all been in there, like, you know, seen or felt the situation where you're driving, you go through like a, some kind of traffic lights or something, you pass them, but you wonder after that, like, was it even green? Like, what's the power of that? Like, you know, it's just your automation basically handled that task and your cognitive side never had to even like wake up. But yeah, it also kind of like talks about how there is uh, a lot of these like biases basically like built into us. Like, you know, of course we have all kind of like confirmation biases. We don't want to, or like, it's easier for us to try to look for information that kind of like, you know, confirms our expectations or thoughts or wants than to actually see it like, you know, very realistically all the, the actual research and, you know, the things also pointing how we are wrong. Yeah, I, I think you just love our episode with Volker Herminghaus from a, a couple of weeks back. It's about consciousness and, and free will and if we have it or not. And like, where, where does it come from? And how, mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. it can't really, it can't really be our conscious side of the brain that has the free will because it, it has a delay of 0 0.3 seconds. So when you think you're making a decision, the decision has already been made for you by your brain, <laughs> like before exactly. you, b before you uh, consciously make the decision. So where is the decision and how could a decision even be made? Like, uh, would, wouldn't the synapses have to go back and forth in time in order for there to actually be such a thing as free will? So yeah, very interesting topics indeed. Yeah. And that's the thing, like the, the free will part is also something that the, the book touches a bit. So. Like it's exactly saying how these two different parts of your brain, it's not exactly like parts, but let's just say like, you know, two different personas in your head or something like that, the automated and the cognitive one, they have totally different opinions about things. Like, I mean, I'm just kind of like <laughs> putting it out in this way, but uh, like, for example, you know, your cognitive side is probably the one who's actually thinking of like, oh, okay, I should go ahead and start working out and, you know, like I should eat better or, or whatever, but it's like, you know, that's cognitive side is not that strong. It's not that active all the time. And majority of the time you go with the automation and the automation is lazy. Uh, like, it, I mean, it's it also just goes, you know, doesn't want to go to a gym and does just want to order some burgers. And it's kind of two, two totally different personas that are fighting inside your head, like, you know, or like, and wanting totally different things. Yeah. This is so cool that you brought this up because this is actually. Uh, a part of a, a chapter for a new book I'm writing at the time. And uh, the, the chapter is called Mind Over Matter. And uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind before before diving into that, that is the, um, the impression of a Donald Duck cartoon where there's an angel Donald Duck and a devil Donald Duck above his head. And they're having an argument of what to do. And I guess the angel side is the, <laughs> the more thinking side and the devil side is just the impulse side that wants to do wants to have that extra cigarette and not do the push-ups right so <laughs> so uh, and i think that that's why that works so well because it's a perfect metaphor it feels like a dichotomy it feels like two different sides of yourself but 
but you're both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You aren't just one aspect of it. Yep. And the thing, the thing with the, uh, there's so much here. There's, we've had some great conversations on the show about how to to which extent the mind creates reality and stuff. I don't know if you heard that, but like uh, about um, whatever you choose to focus on becomes your actual subjective reality. Like uh, the the example Jeff Booth gave was if you're in a crowded room and someone even whispers your name, your attention that instantly focuses on that. Uh, voice that just v- whispered your name and all of the other parts of the conversation going on in the party is just white noise but you hear this one signal perfectly clear because you're focused on it so focus and attention creates reality to a much larger extent than we expect and w- what is objective reality is just where our memes collide and where, where these consciousnesses crash into one another and if you take like theory of relativity into that and, and, uh, you know, time space and time being relative to, uh, to what speed you have throughout, through the universe and stuff. Uh, and it's uh, everything being points on a 4D plane and like is linear time even a real thing? <laughs> and then bake in some quantum mechanics and, you, you know, these, um, particles that have uh, entanglement through space and through time. Uh, could par- particles they at least suspect that they're uh, um, from what I know that they're entangled through time and also and not only through space so could that have something to do with free will <laughs> that that a thought can actually go back in time I don't know but I, I love the subject okay yeah I have an interview like yeah I should definitely uh, like read more about these kind of you know, topics uh, yeah like- yeah yeah I can recommend a couple of things after the show. The show is sponsored by Amber App, the number one Bitcoin exchange in the Southern Hemisphere. And the reason we partnered with Amber App is the people that work there, especially Izzy, my favorite hippie. If you haven't seen it already, check out our episode with Izzy. It'll show you exactly why we just had to partner with Amber App. Izzy focuses on the orange glowing light, and so do we. And we think you should too. Amber app will be launching their version 2.0 soon and rolling out globally. They'll be including a non-custodial on-chain wallet, an anonymous lightning wallet, a fiat wallet, and an exchange all in one. It's going to be a super app. It's like WeChat, but without the CCP. So stay tuned, follow Amber app on X, and check out their website for more information at amber.app. Next up, Wasabi Wallet. The privacy by default, open source, non-custodial Bitcoin wallet with CoinJoin built in. It's the easy-to-use, comprehensive, affordable way to make your coins private. Oh, if you want the privacy of your Bitcoin, don't be an idiot samurai. Use a Wasabi Wallet now. So check out wasabiwallet.io and download Wasabi today. Yeah, I, uh, I mentioned, that, um, you know, space-time. And the, the, one of the points on your list here is Einstein. So what did, what did you want to talk about, about Einstein? Oh, okay. So, I mean... We have to go a little bit back, maybe like now a lot, like we'll get to Einstein maybe a bit, bit later now, but I kind of wanted to challenge you guys because I heard that you, you guys are kind of like both, um, you know, like pro kids and pro family, right? Um, yeah, we both have. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Families. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and in our last episode, we basically like, you know, very much agreed on the foolishness of, well, like, you know, a lot of the religious uh, stuff and everything. 
And I thought that maybe like, this is something that we can actually like debate a little bit about. And th this is just like really, really difficult topic to talk about because everyone who's going to say, or would say the things that I'm going to be saying and be seeing as, you know, like very asshole, uh, because like, <laughs> my point is basically like, you know, that I, I'm not saying that people should not have families or girlfriends or like, you know, a very like, you know, nice kids and everything. I just think that for a majority of the cases, it's just a stupid accident. And it's just that we have exactly that weird confirmation bias where it's so difficult for us to kind of, you know, like admit when we've done something, let's say not that smart and we're kind of stuck with our like, you know, stupid, or like maybe automation, uh, like, you know, based decisions. So like, I'm not saying that, you know, all kids that are out there, all families are made by like, you know, like that it's a result of foolishness. No, I'm just saying that just like, for example, you know, for beavers, um, it's like a hard coded thing for them to go ahead and build uh, dams, for example. It's not something that their mom teaches them or something like that. No, you can take a baby beaver out of the, you know, like the mom beaver right away when it gets born, out put to it the into a, like, a house. Out to the mom beaver's beaver, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But like, you know, the beaver will start actually like, you know, gathering up some like toys, uh, like kid toys and starting to put them in the hallways. And even the beaver itself seems to be confused of like, why the fuck am I doing this? But like in the same way that the beaver has these, you know, like maybe hard coded things, uh, features in its genes. We, of course, as humans, just like with beavers too, we have basically the, like the hard coded feature of reproduction. Damn. So like any life form out there. Like either they will have to become immortal or be immortal, or they will have to learn to reproduce or they will cease to exist. So, you know, like for us, for example, wanting to have a family or wanting to have kids, it's not really a cognitively rational decision for most of the cases. It's, it's just like automation. And at least from my experience, going with your automation and your emotions into these kind of like big decisions, like for example, like, you know, forming a relationship or having kids that has probably caused like more problems than actual benefits. Uh, like, so what I'm trying to say here is that people should, should kind of be aware of these hard coded, like, you know, features, uh, in our genes, basically to try to reproduce, but how it's just another emotion out there. Um, well, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll start with that one. Uh, we'll get into like, probably like deeper parts of this. I think there's a word for that before, for the morality of not having kids. Like, uh, the, 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 there's a, uh, a philosophical ethical ca uh, case for, for not reproducing. And it's from this really kind of dark and depressing school of thought where, where, where you admit to yourself and everyone else that life is more suffering than it is uh, happiness, basically, and that everyone's, everyone's final days will probably suck more than, it will probably not be worth it. That's the, uh, as far as I understand it, this is the premise of that <laughs> um, worldview, that the pain of death is definitely not worth it. Um, 
especially not if you take this relativistic time into uh, the equation and everything exists everywhere at once and stuff. So, yeah. Then again, uh, free will and stuff, and we can't stop it because it was an instinct. And uh, we're we're stuck with it, so we better do the best we can with it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I think these things are worth thinking about, definitely. And uh, I think there's certainly, I think every parent thinks that there's a, a certain aspect of kids being the, just a sexual hangover. And maybe, like when you get when you get the kid first kid, you uh, you very quickly realize that holy shit, I've made a move that I can't take back. I've done something that is very, very much more irreversible than any other decision I made in my life. Like, like everything else you can just apologize for and try to forget about, like, (laughs) but this one is hard to reverse, but that's also, also the beauty of it, you know, because like, um, it, to me, it, it makes, uh, it, it doesn't make life more meaningful. That's bullshit, but it does, uh, it does give, uh, it does give you a uh, person to give the existential baton to so that you don't have to worry about it anymore, if you know what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and that feels good. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I haven't figured it out yet. You do it. Uh, good luck. Bye. That That's sort of... <laughs> and I think that's... Uh, if, if people were more honest, they'll, they'll, uh, they would admit that, that it's a lot about, you know, giving the existential baton to the next generation. That's very well said. And uh, just to also clarify, like, I don't have, you know, like this very, like what you mentioned, you know, the very grim view of uh, like, you know, a world that you should not create kids because the life is more of suffering. I mean, that's part, I agree. Life is probably like, you know, in some way, uh, like the more you're cognitively awake, the more you probably will be suffering, you know, in the, in the world. Uh, but. I, I don't think like even I or for myself, like currently, you know, like I am single and I don't have kids, but I have nothing against it. And I actually still am like, you know, hopeful, romantic, and that I hope that I actually can find someone like, you know, a good girl that I can, you know, like be with and maybe even have kids and actually be happy and all of that. But the likelihood of it is relatively, let's say like pretty low, like just being a Bitcoiner itself kind of like, you know, let's say, like makes the the amount of possible girls who can actually like, you know, accept you as it, as you are, uh, like it makes it uh, like smaller, um, plus all the other stuff, of course, <laughs> but, uh, like in general, also like exactly, you know, what you said about like passing the, the baton to the next person, that's the thing why I'm kind of a little bit disappointed where whenever I see, you know, people saying that the, the main point of life is to have kids. I mean, could be, but then we get the qu- into the questions of like, okay, how many, why? And, you know, like there's a, there's a lot of things that usually are not really explainable properly, but like, especially for Bitcoiners and for like, you know, if we want to be really like fully responsible of our own lives, like creating kids just because you're kind of like hoping that maybe he will figure something out and do something great. It's just very like weirdly kind of like trying to pass the responsibility to others. Like if you really see the things, you know, how they are and how bad they are, like creating, like not working on them yourself, like kind of going with these, like, you know, animal instinct urges to go ahead and like, you know, fuck whatever moves or, you know, like things like that and get trapped, uh, basically like if you have 
being like that, you know, a bit kind of like lazy, you're, you're kind of stuck with that life and it's going to be harder for you to actually, you know, do something, let's say exactly like Einstein, like why I point uh, put it out there in the notes is basically exactly that. Like, if you think that you are one of the smartest people out there, or like, especially um, like the smartest ones, but even if you think that you're more like smarter than the average, like, why would you ever go ahead and basically like waste your time in playing house? Basically, like, you know, that's what we're doing. Like girls used to play with Barbies and, you know, like do their teapots, uh, things and everything like that. The guys used to actually, you know, play with like action figures and try to do something heroic, like, you know, go into a war or, or whatever. Like now, whenever we grow up, even men, like, you know, kind of tends to go ahead and either explain to themselves or just, they prefer to just, you know, play house, be nicely chilling in the sofa and watching Netflix instead of doing something really difficult something crazy hard, just like Einstein or like Nikolai Tesla or whatever, like they, they went and kind of resisted the urge to just go ahead and be stuck with a girl to be able to actually, you know, produce something really meaningful to their life. Um, because everything that you do is just a trade off with your time. Like all the relationships is just a time sink. And if you do choose or end up by accident into these time sinks, you will never be able to like, you know, really control your time and, and put out as much effort as maybe would have been possible if you would not take in these automated actions. Yep. So since we're already on this, uh, um, <laughs> what's it called? Um, this is a somewhat controversial topic, but, uh, let's go even more controversial then, because I think that, that what you're describing now is a byproduct. Uh, that is very seldom talked about because it's such a taboo to uh, topic, uh, but a byproduct of uh, women getting into the workforce. Uh, because when what we really did when when uh, you know letting women into the workforce and letting them have uh, voting rights and whatever is that we we switched out the alleged patriarch, the 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 family father, uh, or the alleged. Um, Patriarch is not the right word because that has kind of a positive connotation in my ears, but like uh, the alleged oppressor, uh, the uh, the patriarch dad with the real oppressor, the patriarch state, which, which which is oppressing everyone by stealing their stuff and making them stuck in these hamster's wheels and having to do, to do their chores over and over again. And everyone becomes, as you see, as you say, they're too tired to do anything after workday. They just sit on the sofa and watch Netflix and do have no ambition with their lives. And so I, I think it's somewhat connected to just fiat in, in general that we have, um, we're not incentivized to, per, to, to pursue higher goals. And the more socialistic our societies become and the more you get punished for being uh, bold. But, I mean, you get what you pay for if you pay social... <laughs> If you have a big social security network, you're paying people to sit in the sofa and watch Netflix. So, so I think there's a lot to that that we're we're incentivizing people to to not be ambitious, to not be brave, and to not be heroic. Uh, we're incentivizing people to sit home and watch Netflix, as you say, and eat cheese doodles. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think it, the thing is exactly like you know, 
I mean, it's understandable why people went into a lot of these different relationships, especially like back, back, you know, like some years ago when we didn't have like, you know, all of these weird services that government nowadays provides and everything. So I do understand that there's, there's certain reasons why people would have like, you know, out of need or, or everything like, you know, to, to kind of like, you know, marry or have kids, you know, to just have some people to take care of the land or the farm or, or whatever. But like for like nowadays, for majority of people, it seems like women don't need men and men don't need women. Like there's only like, you know, the, the weird animal urge that we still have for the opposite sex. Maybe it's some weird hormones or whatever, but let's say, you know, like previously, if it was for men, like, you know, that to have like, you know, someone nice, uh, like, you know, walking around, maybe doing some food or like, you know, like cleaning the house or something like that. No, you can just hire people now for that. Like you don't need an actual girlfriend gets, you know, those kind of things done. And even for sex, like there's a lot of services. You don't need girl for the sex part too. It's now just about this, like, you know, story that we have been told to that we should be in a relationship and there is, you know, some perfect girl out there or like a guy or whatever. I just feel like, you know, it's more understandable nowadays if people don't go into relationships because there's no need for it anymore. Or like other than the reproduction part. But I have a slightly different viewpoint here, and that is that we're we're tempted to think that we don't need a relationship and that we don't need spouses. But it's not really true. It's it's just uh, very convenient for the people in charge to have us think that this these things are not necessary. But like for to become a sovereign individual, a truly sovereign individual, I really think you do need a wife to take care of the kids and uh, do the dishes and all of this boring stuff so you can you can provide for the family and do so like these are very traditional values. But I think that there's there's something to this that got lost along the way. I mean, I, I think people should be allowed to do whatever they want. And if women want to have a career instead of having kids, like go ahead. I have nothing against that. But I think with that whole package. Now, now that every girl is like expected to have a career on top of being a mother and, and guys are expected to do motherly chores, uh, like that's something got lost along the way there. And we'd sort of live in this fake reality that we think we can live without one another. But you, if you want to be a sovereign and if you want to be able to support yourself and stuff, <laughs> um, have a citadel and a farm and, and stuff. You you probably couldn't do that without the proper <laughs> wife um, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I, like I said, I would personally love to have exactly like, you know, a good girl and have, you know, like a nice little ranch or something like that. But at least like I totally get why it's kind of like difficult for even like, you know, women to go on with that deal nowadays. Like, you know, this is something that is like, it's maybe like a little bit weird, but I wonder how a lot of the women, especially before this modern medicine and, you know, science, how the hell, or like, it's definitely not a like conscious decision to go ahead and like make kids. Uh, other than for like, you know, benefiting from them basically, like in some way, but like, just imagine how weird it was and how risky it was back then for a woman to actually like put out 
like a watermelon sized thingy out of their pussy. Like it's a huge risk. Like the baby might die. You might die. Like there's a huge amount of like, you know, problems in there. And basically like, I wonder why didn't women kind of like see men as some kind of like virus injectors basically at that point, like it was, it was crazy weird. And like, I don't think that it's a, a, like a conscious decision. It's like the automation, the urge to want to reproduce that is hard coded in us that kind of like overcomes even the conscious side of like, this does not make sense. It has huge risks. They still go ahead and do it. And they say they want to do it because I, I think that it's the automation side because cognitively, like if you think about it, it just makes no sense. It overcomes even your self-preservation, like, you know, urge. You don't want to go ahead and take a, such an, a big risk for yourself and put out the watermelon out of there. It's not the shape of a watermelon, just, just so you know, when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still, it's a good metaphor. Like, and that sort of depends on your point of view as well. It is uh, not having kids means that you're, you're the end of your bloodline. Like that's, so it is existentially finished when you go. And you can say, oh, yeah, but I don't care because I'll be dead and I won't care about, I won't give a fuck about shit when I'm dead. Like, uh, <laughs> but still there, there is an existential, like I said, the ex existential baton, uh, that's, <laughs> that's one way to rationalize it, I guess. Uh, I mean, because if, if you think that life is more, more suffering than enjoyment, why don't, why not just go jump off a bridge tomorrow? Like, and some people do, uh. <laughs> But, but I think there's definitely something to, to, uh, you know, this, the, the, the family unit became a family unit for a reason, because that was how you survived, especially when women started to get pregnant around 17 or 18 years of age. And then they produced kids until they were 50. Like, uh, it's not that way anymore. And, and I've heard a lot of ideas about how, you know, these second and third order effects of, of, uh, the pill. And what it has done to us, because in a way, like modern women are the first cyborgs that, that are really, that we've really changed biologically, uh, at their core of what they, what they used to be and what they are now. They're a different thing. And yeah, I, I think there's th those downsides to that are not talked about enough. If I can, I can just add, if I can just add something here, I think, I think the, uh, the other side to this here, uh, it's it's a little bit fun when when something like this happens when I get to say these words. I disagree with Knut here, uh, and and uh, it's 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 fun because I've I've started to uh, explore some ideas off campus, off the Freedom Footprint Show campus. Uh, especially these days, I'm doing I'm doing a series on Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning on uh, Robert Breedlove's show, uh, and and we 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 actually did a rip last night and so this stuff is kind of fresh in my mind the i i think kids do give meaning inherently to people it's just not in this in this uh, tangible sense i suppose but it really does hit the the programming and so i think we're maybe coming at this from from different sides here and eventually saying the same thing but the cognitive layers that we're talking about is sort of built up in this layered substrate we as individuals are the product of 
thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years of evolution. Let's just cap it at when we've been Homo sapiens, maybe a couple hundred thousand years, something like that. And everything that has come up to that point in terms of behavior, in terms of l- the the stories that we've told along the way to 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 pass lessons down, those are all substrates of our personalities. All three of us have, to a certain extent, the Judeo-Christian philosophy underpinning us, again, to a certain extent. But we, all three of us also have different, different backgrounds before our ancestors became Christianized, for example, just to, just to make that point. But we've got the Judeo-Christian, the Western humanist perspective from being men from from Europe or from Europe adjacent countries and then there are more things that individuate us right but the lower level programming in terms of everything that goes on under the hood that's pretty much shared universal human shared and i think the the reproduction is is part of this and it, it a lot of ways is is I think having kids is always difficult, right? Because there's a lot of responsibility to it, at least if you're taking it seriously, which I think you should. But over time, the responsibility becomes too much to bear without something like that, where it's, where it's, it, it just becomes the, the right cross to bear, for lack of a better metaphor on top of my head. It's, you, you, you take yourself to a certain, life status right and then having kids becomes the next natural outlet for that because i i, I think there's an there's another case where you you have people who just who just have kids get in a relationship have kids and uh oops make a mistake and they don't go into it intentionally and that's a completely different story right that's that's probably what the majority of of humanity was like for a very long time right but intentionally going into it with the idea of having kids and and yeah going on to the next generation i think that is absolutely meaningful in and of itself in the in the sense of that you are going to channel your energy directly into a new person and maybe there's some there's a an aspect of trying to reduce some past mistakes uh trying to help them have a better life than than you had a better start of it and and then we get into that there are these psychological fallacies of the the great men create good times which creates bad men which creates bad times kind of thing the the generational cycle where if if uh, you get too good of a start in life maybe you're not going to necessarily achieve much of anything which uh yeah is sort of difficult to to grapple with as a as a new parent but um, not like I'm giving my kid, uh, uh, yeah, the 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 most uh, luxurious upbringing, so to say. But you know, not bad. This is rambling a little bit, but I th- I think the 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 point is that we've got this deep programming and th- this deep cultural substrate that is there. It's just not something that is scientifically extractable. Exactly, this isn't something empirical. It's just it's just a substrate of things that that have have built upon us as as humans, and I, I think having kids and and uh, going along with that, it's 
we've been telling stories about the importance of having kids and moving on into the next generation for probably as long as humans have existed. And that's built in and we are programmed to get meaning from that. So I think this is sort of saying the same thing a little bit from a different perspective, but I think we get meaning from it because it's been with us for so long. Yeah, just a disclaimer here, Luke, uh, before we get into the rest of the conversation, and that is that, like, I, I don't claim opinions on this. So, so like, I, I flesh out these different theories that people have, but yeah, just to say, I definitely went into getting kids deliberately. I did. I, I don't think it was as deliberate on my wife's part. I think it was more of an oops moment for her, the, the, definitely more oopsie than it was for me, because for me, it was planned so that's that's the thing guys so like i really appreciate you know like people being able to tell honestly about or like talk honestly about these things because i do also understand you know the biases that we have uh to kind of like you know the defend the actions that we have made um and well okay this might sound a bit harsh and like you know this might be offensive for some people but like i'm not comparing dogs and kids but I'm just saying that, like, I had a dog um, for like 10 years. And I mean, it came true with, because, like, with the girlfriend that I had back then, she wanted to have a dog. We got it. But, like, after a few years, we, did, we separated. And the dog was basically like, well, I took care of the dog uh, for the last six, seven years. And the thing is, it always prevented me from like traveling. Quite as much as I would want to, like it did basically restrict me from doing things. But when I had the dog, I kind of like very well explained to myself how this is worth it and this is okay. And this is what I want. I want to stay with the dog, like, you know, or like, you know, take care of it or, or whatever. But that's what I feel like, you know, when we actually have that thing to take care of, we have this bias where we need to go ahead and explain that that was still worth it. But now that my dog died, like, you know, six months ago. I honestly, like, I cannot say that I would do anything differently because I don't know any of the other options or, or anything. Uh, and it was really awesome time, um, you know, you know grow, grow a dog as a single guy uh, and all that. But I've also exactly kind of like noticed that now I have more of the original freedom that I actually really, really wanted. And I kind of explained to myself like not doing a lot of things because of the dog, but I, I was like able to kind of like explain to myself why that is still okay. Now I know that I would not take another dog. I would not take or make the same decision. I cannot say that I would revert the old one, but at least cognitively when I'm awake, when I don't, and when I have an option to get a dog or not get a dog, when I have an option to get a girl or get a kid or don't, like, I think that's when I can actually think most, like, you know, with unbiased or like with le least of the biases, I can, I can think straight whenever I have already one of those things, it's really hard to go back. So what I'm trying to say also is that people should be careful and not kind of like panic for the feeling of being lonely or, you know, like try to, try to just run after, you know, like all of these emotions, like wanting to have sex or whatever. People should kind of accept that these are just emotions. You might want to go with them, 
but you might also be doing the biggest mistakes of your life if you're not really thinking with your head, but just with your dick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, an aspect of this that we haven't uh, talked about is, is like, the, this, this is my subjective experience, but uh, before I had kids, like I, I didn't have kids until quite late in life. Like I, I was 35 when I had my first kid. And before that, I, I was bored and I had long periods of time where I wasn't doing stuff that never happens anymore. So like, even though I have less time on my hands, I literally have way fewer hours per day that I decide whatever I want to do and then do that, uh, like in uninterrupted, like the, those moments are much more precious to me now. So I value them more and therefore I get more shit done. And even though I have less time to do shit, because I think there's a, there's a thing there because like, uh, having a kid and, and being in that situation, like the dog is, you are comparing a dog to a kid. You understand that, right? But, but like, it's, it's not the same thing, but it's, it's alludes to what a life with a kid is like, you have to take care of the kid a lot more than you have to take care of the dog. Just a heads up. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe it's hard to realize how scarce the, the, the a human uh, time is and how, how short a human lifetime is. Uh, before you have a kid, like, uh, it's, a, it's a real reminder that, uh, life is not a rehearsal go like do you have one shot at this mm -hmm. and i also like you know whatever makes people happy i, I think that's okay but i also feel like there's a, a great or like at least to me how i see exactly like einstein and tesla or people like that and what i kind of would want to exactly put out right now like you know for all the listeners is basically that like if you think that you are really like as smart or like you know as as productive or like, you know, as meaningful of a person as someone like, you know, Einstein or Nikolai Tesla, I can't like, like, you know, I kind of would hope that those persons would actually just focus on work and I feel bad for them because they might not get all of that happiness that family and kids bring them. But I really like, you know, tip my hat for those guys who are, you know, also kind of resisting the urge and kind of like, you know, being able to stand the suffering, like, you know, the, the loneliness or whatever, and, you know, like just doing these greater things, uh, you know, that actually produces or pushes like humanity forward. Of course, family people can definitely do a lot of those, but I'm just saying like, it would have been a, a real shame if, you know, Einstein or these kind of guys would have been stuck, you know, playing house. We would have lost or like, you know, a lot of good ideas. Do you think his lack of a sex drive has something to do with his name? Uh, yeah, it could be, it could be. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't know much about the sex life of Einstein, uh, but I mean, I heard something like, you know, I mean, they did have apparently kids, but they kind of like abandoned the, the girl and the kid exactly to be able to just focus on their work. And of course they probably got a lot of shit from it. Yeah. And also Nikolai Tesla, for example, like he was. He was apparently like, according to himself, married to a pigeon. So, I mean, these are not, let's say the most sane guys, but what no, I'm saying no. is that I appreciate them willing to go into a total craziness to produce something great for humanity. Yeah. But there, there are examples of, uh, the, like, uh, 
Luke Dasher, for for instance, in in Bitcoin, he has eight kids and he does great things all of the time. Like, <laughs> the, but the, just the, imagine how much time or like how much more productive Luke would be if he would not have to take care of any of those eight kids. You don't know that. You don't know yeah, that don't, he might yeah. have been, you know, a method on the street if he hadn't had those eight kids. You know, uh, like uh, yeah, apologies to Luke in advance here, but. Uh, <laughs> It's just a name that came on top of my head because of the eight kids, but, uh, you know, or, uh, or Jimmy song, he has uh, seven kids, right. Uh, um, or, or something they have a ton of kids and they seem to be very productive, uh, despite, or maybe because of the kids, who knows? Yep. By the way, what do you guys think of like, you know, when people are saying that the point of life would be to exactly like, you know, like have get, uh, kids. Like, what is then the number of kids that you would want to have optimally? Like, because that's always something that has wondered, like, to me, like, is it just one? If you want to, you know, like, store your gene, basically, like, the more the merrier. But then again, like, previously, it wasn't possible to just go ahead and create, like, thousands of kids. Or maybe, like, Chinggis Khan or someone else actually did that. I don't remember how many he had. But... The point is now it is possible. You can actually create like, you know, in a weird like lab or like, you know, a test tube, you can clone yourself as many kids as you can afford to. So is now the actual, like the goal basically to create as many kids as you can afford to raise reasonably or, or like, is it just passing the genes and, you know, like what's your thoughts on this? I, I think even if you're Elon Musk, you wouldn't afford to be Genghis Khan. Because there's like 25% of the Mongolian population has, you know, connections to the genes of Genghis Khan. So like being a total asshole and pillaging and raping for uh, your entire life and uh, raping as much as possible is a very uh, effective method if you want your genes to pass on to the next generation. Like, uh, <laughs> of course it is. We're clipping that. Uh, we're clipping that? Yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why not? Great advice from Knut. Well, it's not advice, <laughs> it's an observation. Uh, but I'm coming to the point that uh, I don't think that's necessarily a good life choice, though, even though it, it does secure <laughs> your, your gene, your bloodline for a long time. Uh, I think, like, why, why do people have to have uh, m finding meaning in life? Uh, what what do you even answer? Like, is there a meaning? Is there not a meaning? Well, sometimes it feels like there's meaning. That some things feel meaningful and others less so. But you know, uh, I mean, just reproducing it's, it's not meaning in itself, is it? I, I think just going with the flow and doing whatever feels good is quite good advice for most people. Uh, I don't know. I don't know the meaning of life. What's the meaning of life, Luke? voluntarily taking up the challenge to go into the unknown, tame the chaos, and bring back the treasure to the community. Yes, but this is the Freedom Footprint show, not the What is Money show. <laughs> y yeah, but... Yes. You, I know you rehearsed for that and everything, but this is, this is our show. You, I know this is our show, but, Rob, but, but uh, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a reason I've, I've talked about that book now for like eight hours or something with Rob. And, and, uh, but do you uh, buy that? Do you yeah, buy that? That that's absolutely. the meaning of your life or absolutely. everyone's life? Well, uh, uh, okay. So the thing about that book, the thing about Maps of Meaning that 
that really dug into this for me was was that it it explained how we think because the the thing about it is it, it the book is dense and and ridiculously meandering repetitive but the it it builds upon point upon point and shows he shows his work that's that's really the key here so what happens is that the the book builds up from here are the building blocks of how people think there's there's an aspect of neurological psychology there's an aspect of how this stuff works in day to day and then the bulk of the book is explanation through stories and the thesis of the book is basically that we transmit through stories through mythology mythology basically just being stories that are so deep in our history that we've we've lost where they actually came from but we, through these through these stories we tell lessons that match what our psychology and physiology mean <laughs> if if you want to fun we talk for a good 20 30 minutes in one one episode about the meaning of the word meaning and it's it's a real circle jerk and it's lots of fun but yeah but but the the point is that psychologically we're we are conditioned to want to minimize the chaos of the world around us and put the world into order in in the most simple terms and so the we the yes in men humanity but it's it's there's biological differences of course uh men do end up being sort of the the default in these these stories uh sorry ladies uh, the, the the there are different stories tailored specifically for women at least in terms of the 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 thing to do to uh um well for for her to get her own uh, form of of meaning the beauty of the beast story is the is the archetypical the archetypal story for for women at least according to jordan peterson but yes we as in men we as in humans something like that the bravest thing is to be able to go out into the unknown and bring something back that's what millennia of stories are telling us and then th there are layers to it because it's it's not a simple uh, there there's a there's a simple hero story go kill the dragon rescue the virgin in the castle bring her back and then suddenly everything is good in the kingdom again because you killed the dragon something like that very simple straightforward but that's not how it maps to reality and so there are other stories other forms of of looking at this stuff and and the thesis is to just take up the challenge and that's meaning to me is to find the challenge to take up and go at it wholeheartedly and go at it with some humility that the wisdom of generations before me might have figured some things out but ultimately there comes the point where you as the individual the individual i'll emphasize that has to do something novel and innovative in that moment as big or as small as that might be and that's the impact that's the meaning and then bring that back and you can make a good life life is less psychologically difficult putting life into more order something like that and the the coolest part about it is that 
the the person the thing you should put at the top of the hierarchy the the thing that you should put at the top of the hierarchy is the the hero that pays attention that's what what for millennia is the message the hero that is able to pay attention figure out the world and figure out the things that are plaguing the society that's the person that should be put at the top of the hierarchy because they know what they're doing they're the most competent competence the the, the book maps on perfectly with praxeology with everything that's going on in the bitcoin community i love it and it's it's why it's the most it's the most influential book for me and why i am talking about it with rob why i'd encourage people to watch jordan peterson's lectures on the topic if if reading the book in its whole 500 page density is isn't the most enjoyable thing but i got something out of it and that's that's the meaning i got out of it was to take up the challenge and i went from a nihilistic early 20 something that had no idea what to do with myself to yeah now now i've got purpose and i'm well on my way to fulfilling the story of my life got a kid it's pretty cool I don't think any of that would have happened if I hadn't found this book and figured out how to do something with myself without finding religion, by the way. So that's also cool. That is a beautiful rant, Luke. You put a tear to my eye. And uh, the the story is very similar to mine. It's just that I've never, like, uh, well, never is a strong word. (laughs) I guess, you know, every person sees themselves as the protagonist of their the movie of their story so you try to if you try to emulate the hero's journey thing i I think we all do that to some extent and to me the the, like uh there's the call to adventure when you find bitcoin and (laughs) there's the the real adventure when you uh, you're supposed to run into trouble also and i guess you know getting fed up with my old job was getting into trouble and seeing inflation you know out outpacing uh, an eventual race in salary and then just jumping off the cliff and uh fuck this i'm doing something else instead i guess that's like the the hero's journey part of at least the latter stages of my life i I think i don't think people have one hero's journey i think they have many during a lifetime or at least can Uh, so so what's your story rafa there like have you find them found the meaning of your life and are, are you living in a hero's journey type thing you think mean kind of yeah i do think i have like good meaning for life it's just that i kind of question it and i feel like things are way too easy uh like you know like let's say like this i had this thought in my mind like let's say 10 years ago that would be like really awesome to just you know like work on bitcoin things and not really have to have you know a fiat job or or things like that well I, I got that. Then I also realized that when I like, you know, got a little bit deeper into Bitcoin stuff that I would really want to, you know, focus on doing something really, really meaningful. Or I mean, that, that's what I had like always since the child, like as, as uh, like when I was a kid, like I wanted to do something actually meaningful, not something just a random, you know, like a basic fiat job or, or something like that. And I, I feel like working on Bitcoin and especially like working on Bitcoin privacy is probably one of the most urgent things that we should be working on 
because I mean, even though there is a lot of very cool technology, a lot of like, you know, biohacking or like AI or like, you know, a lot of these cool things are out there. But I feel like if we don't fix the money first, all of these other cool, you know, things or technologies will just be like corrupted through government or like, you know, like we have a shitty money, uh, like at least, you know, the fiat and we're trying to make a better one. Bitcoin is the best option, but it also has this like huge problem with its privacy. Like if we would not improve Bitcoin privacy or if these privacy tools would not get adoption, I feel like, you know, even Bitcoin would just become basically the biggest global financial surveillance system ever. Like it is, it is much, much worse than any CBDC out there that people are talking about. Like this is not just, you know, like governments being able to see exactly how much you own and how do you transact. They might not be able to stop it, but they will penalize you if they can see exactly what's going on. Now with CBDCs, at least your neighbor is not able to watch you or, you know, like know exactly what you're doing. But with Bitcoin, if we don't improve its privacy, we are really, really screwed. So in that sense, I do find a lot of meaning working on, on this space and these things. Uh, but I feel like it's also, it's too easy. Like in the sense that uh, maybe I just have these like, you know, weird old stories and movies kind of like imprinted into my mind. Like for example, you know, the movie Troy and like the story about, about Achilles. Um, like that was a very interesting story where basically like in the movie itself, like it's, you know, that this character, this Achilles, he had a total, like, you know, a choice in life to go ahead and, you know, like have kids have like, you know, that he would basically be guaranteed to have, you know, a good wife and a lot of kids who will love them and he will have a very happy and fulfilling life. But there was also the other option where he would not go ahead and have any of that like family stuff, but actually go into like, you know, the Troy war and try to write his name into the history books for like thousands of years. I think those kind of goals of like people actually wanting to, you know, like basically be remembered or do something useful that will be then remembered for thousands of years. That's like, you know, proper goals. Like that's what we should be all looking for, you know, like. Yeah, but but if it's too easy and you're already accomplished, like building better Bitcoin privacy tools, uh, like there's nothing stopping you from getting the family after you're done with all the heroic stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I mean, I'm not saying that like fixing Bitcoin privacy is too easy, but it's kind of like it was too easy to find a very meaningful thing to do. And now I'm kind of like in a in a surge of like even bigger meaning even yeah something more so do you think that ever ends I, even if you find something bigger and more important to work on whatever that is world peace or whatever uh i could you i guess you could say bitcoin privacy is world peace but it takes a while but uh w like don't you think there's always a, a bigger fist to catch and like that you never get satisfied from just for fulfilling i know that that's from from experience whenever i set up a goal and i achieve something I, I want the next thing. I want to up my game. Yeah. And I mean, I totally agree with you. Like want seems to be also like something that is just hard coded in us because if we would kind of like end up, uh, not wanting things, it's kind of like, you know, there's no need for action. And I think we would kind of like lose the, the, the passion or like, you know, to live. 
Uh, so I think wants are one of the things that kind of like keeps us going. And I think they will grow up all the time. But I also have noticed exactly like that setting yourself too low of goals or goals that you can actually achieve is very, very dangerous, at least, at least for a while. Because like if you set yourself too easy of goals and you actually achieve them, you will be totally like, you know, unhappy or you will at least be left with no other plans or no other things to do and you kind of have to find a new meaning again. So that's why I feel like, you know, shooting for the stars, like, you know, what Elon Musk is wanting to do, like, okay, let's go and put people into Mars. Something this crazy will actually keep him, you know, like driven for a long, long time. Like don't set too easy goals for yourself, basically. Don't you think that's a problem though, with like the whole internet generation that has grown up with, you know, it's like the uh, idea in Fight Club that everyone grew up raised by their mothers and uh, uh, <laughs> wanting to be, were told by the media that they would be rock stars and movie stars and whatnot. And none of that comes true, true later in life. So, so like, what I'm trying to say is that, uh, isn't it a problem that people can't be if everyone had uh, the goal of, of you know, building a, a rocket that takes us to Mars or something, like no one would be satisfied with just being a baker or a garbage man. <laughs> like, don't we need like people for everything uh, and people taking pride in the in easy, small jobs? Like, I, I mean, I think that all of the jobs are in some sense really important. And it's good that there is people who are kind of like satisfied with that, but it's like, it's just good basically from my perspective. Like, I mean, it's, it might be good for them too. Like, you know, they might be happy and then it's totally okay. But at least like, to me, it feels a little bit bad to say that I'm happy that other people are okay with like less because it just seems to be a thing that benefits me. I kind of feel like, you know, from totally from totally unbiased point of view, I kind of feel like we should be endorsing everyone to be as great as they can and shoot for the stars, like, you know, to try to do something really meaningful. I know that that's not something that could actually happen and that would, you know, result into a lot of chaos in the world, but at least for, you know, the sovereign individuals, the, the people who really want to try to make a big difference in the world, I think that's just a beautiful thing that they are not like, you know, happy with, with normal stuff that they are actually pushing for something like even better and greater. Yeah. Which is why it's, why it's so reinvigorating or but to go to a Bitcoin conference and meet all these people that are actually trying to do that. That's like fantastic. Like look at these people there, they're not caring what other people tell them they can and cannot do. They're just, they just do stuff and build a better world. Uh, yeah, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, ambition itself, like, you know, it's always so nice to be able to like, you know, see in Bitcoin and like, you know, these kind of sovereign engineering space, for example, they see so much like passionate people who are not just, you know, like, looking into like, oh, okay, I want to go ahead and like build a software that will generate me like a few thousand dollars per month. And that's it. Like, that's what I'm looking for. But there's a lot of people who actually want to go ahead and like change the whole world, like, you know, just like Bitcoiners, but. You know, it's, it's also talk is cheap. A lot of people would want to go ahead and say that they want to go ahead and change the world, but it exactly requires a lot of commitment and it requires a lot of, um, like refraining yourself from doing these like weird, uh, automated actions that will just basically 
I'm saying wraps. The show is also sponsored by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network where you can stack friends who stack sats. Make local connections and find all the nearby meetups, see what's going on in your area, and connect with Bitcoiners around you. And now, with a brand new merchant section, it's easier than ever to find and connect with local businesses that accept Bitcoin. The best part about Orange Pill App is that you know that it's high signal because you're paying for Orange Pill App, and so is everyone else. There are no Asian ladies asking you how your trade is going on Orange Pill App because it's not a trading app. It's a dating app. Is it a dating app? So download the Orange Pill app on Apple or Android, send us a DM and start building your local network of Bitcoiners. So how do you how do you focus? Like how do you force yourself to focus and how do you like make the work ethic become a reality? Like some trips takes trip trick some tips well, at least for me, like one of the best things that like, it's very unintuitive, but I really love this idea of like responsibility maximalism. So like basically, for example, how I see things in my life is that everything that happens is totally my fault. Like, I mean, not completely always. And I don't blame myself for some of the things that are happening. Like I just practically kind of control things. But the point is that I don't blame Anything that happens, especially like negative things, I do not blame them on others. If there is, you know, like after something bad happens, I always kind of think about it myself. Like, could I have done something better? Could I have, like, let's say if it's if, like another person not showing up at the right time, like, could I have informed him better? Could I have, like, you know, sent another message, reminder, like, could I have done better? And usually the answer is yes. So blaming the other person is kind of just a way to push the responsibility out of yourself. And that's, that's kind of like, you know, if you start blaming other things for, or, or like other people or, you know, for all of the negative things that happen in your life, you will never really want to go ahead and like, think about how to fix them, how to improve yourself. So taking full responsibility of all of your actions, I feel like that's one of the most important things that at least I have learned. And like that's have, that has made me to really carefully consider in what kind of a game do I want to put myself into? Like what kind of, like, do I even want to start, for example, like this possible relationship, like, you know, chess match, uh, you know, like, and I, I try to exactly like, you know, think of my actions before I do them because of this res responsibility, like idea that I have. I think that's a. That's a good one. And in general, like, of course, prioritization. So like I said, there's a lot of very cool things, but like you have to kind of go through really brutally, you know, like write them down. Like what are the really the biggest or the most important things? Like, you know, there's, there's what is important. And then there's the thing of like, what is urgent and like the, you know, there's a lot and a lot of important things, but there's like the urgency is kind of like the, the higher priority. Like we should look into like, you know, what is the, the immediate action that we first have to fix to in order to be able to fix the rest of it. And I, like I said, I feel like it's, you know, money, but this same idea of like how to prioritize, I think can be used in like companies and any other projects too. It's beautiful because it's sort of the opposite of victimhood culture. Like you're, you're, you're doing the ex exact opposite of these virtue signaling victims, like mm, the, mm. where the game becomes who, who we should pity the most. And 
Yeah. That's the one who gets the reward. Well, yeah. Uh, way, way sounder way to live life, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. And I mean, maybe also like one thing that I would also say that kind of helps a lot is to like, you know, meditate. And this is also like a very unpopular opinion, but like, you know, there's a lot of very, very weird and interesting substances, you know, like out there in the world that we already know that are actually like enhancing our cognitive capabilities, for example. It's just that we're afraid of the trade-offs or, you know, like the possible problems that those might cause. But I mean, I don't want to endorse it, but I'm just saying like people should not be afraid of these kind of things either. Like just like, for example, you know, like uh, back in like hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago, like sailors, like they had to really have like huge fucking cojones to really go ahead and like, you know, like go with that weird kind of like, you know, wooden boat all the way until, you know, towards the infinite sea, like you really had to be a little bit crazy, but also that's the thing that was required to actually find something so different, something new to bring like a whole new continent, basically for humanity. Like that required some people to actually take the risk of losing their mind or their life in order to, you know, be able to explore these areas that we are not yet daring to explore. So yeah, that's also something that yeah, I would put on the list. Yeah. Speaking of the list, I saw the, 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 the last point there is, is human rights are a joke which is uh yeah i'd like to pick your brain on that because i have some ideas myself yeah i mean in my opinion like we already live in an anarchy it's just that most of people are really really bad at defending themselves you know there is no human rights like whatever there is you know like a lot of people saying every now and then like oh right to privacy or whatever like that's a very fiat concept to do or to even say you know, there is no right for basically anything. It's just, especially like right for a privacy, for example, like to me, these are just like weird concepts that are kind of like, you know, relying on some authority actually enforcing these, but it's kind of like impossible if you don't really like, you know, steal the money out of a lot of people to be able to fund that kind of a conglomerate. So to me, well, yeah, human rights, it's just something that at least Bitcoiners should not be, you know, kind of appealing to in arguments. Well, this is, uh, is a great topic because, like, um, you can differentiate between positive rights and negative rights. And positive rights are the ones that, you know, free housing, free food, whatever, um, healthcare, uh, all of them require a violation of some other person's negative right, which is basically. The, the only thing you could argue for being a universal human right that is true for all people at all times is the right to be left alone. Like, uh, the, basically the non-aggression principle. Uh, because it's the only one that can be true for all people at all times. And also, arguing against it is arguing against the very act of argumentation. Because if I argue against you owning your own body, and by extension, your stuff. Uh, if if you try to uh, refute that argument, you have to use your body to do that. So you show, but with your action of arguing, you show me that you accept 
uh, that I own my body too, and that argu- through argumentation, uh, we, we can't really argue with one another without accepting the non-aggression principle to be the, like the cornerstone of everything, um, because it's implicit in the very implicit in the very act of arguing. Um, and therefore, we can sort of deduct that the only right that can actually be a, a universal right is the right to be left alone. Yeah, I, I kind of understand that, but I also like I wonder exactly like to what extent are we considering now like left alone? Like what you said, like you know, for physical space. I mean, I kind of totally agree, and I would want that, but I also feel like you know it really depends on like what we classify as being left alone. Like you know, like if. Is me looking at another person, like, you know, is that kind of like me not leaving them alone? And then it's, then it all, like, if it is, you know, like I cannot really watch them or look at them or like that they would have the right to, to build some kind of a wall around themselves. Um, that would basically just mean that we need a lot of resources and the more people there are, the, the smaller the, the area basically gets, unless we somehow create more of earth or know, find other planets to populate or something like that. But I, I, I agree with you. Like I agree with the non-aggression principle as not as a, like a right, but as something that's, you know, as a agreed code for, let's say morally like sane people. Yeah. I, I don't think like right might be the, but the, the word is, is flawed, but it's still one of the best words we have for it because like. I don't think there's a world where everyone lives by this, right? It's just impossible because we're always going to have conflict about property like and about uh, land uh, and everything. Um, it's just that if, if you want to be civilized and if you want to do things in a civilized way, then that's the, that should be the core principle. And it should, should be more important than everything else. Free speech, for instance, and freedom of expression and like the things you said to privacy they're all uh downstream to property rights because if if there's no such thing as a public space then whoever owns the property gets to set the rules if i own uh riverside or x or (laughs) or twitter i i set the rules of who gets to say what on that platform because it's my platform so and Mm -hmm. and so therefore Freedom of speech laws are, are they're a mirage. They're they're redundant because like in order for there to have to be free speech laws, that implies that there is public space or something public is publicly owned, which has to be preceded by a violation of the right to be left alone. You have to take stuff from others in order to build a public space. So so I and I think that's that's true for the privacy thing too. There's a great book about this that Max recommended to me. Um the Ethics of Liberty by Mario Rothbard, uh, highly yeah, recommended. Yeah. yeah, he lays it out very well where where, where to draw the lines. Yeah, and also there's uh, I don't know as you guys have heard about the book um, Defending the Undefendable by Walter Block. Oh yeah, yeah, that's on my reading list. I haven't read it yet, but yep, I need to read that. There's two versions of it, and you can also uh, like listen to it as an audio book in YouTube. There's all the chapters in there. But they also have like a very, very good like arguments over there. It's basically like, you know, like Austrian economics based book. Uh, it's just like, it's just basically looking into a lot of these, like, you know, people or groups of people or like, let's say jobs of some people 
that are generally considered either by the government or by generally like people as a negative or a bad thing. And one of the things is like, you know, over there is like about the peeping Tom. So like a guy who kind of like, you know, pokes his head around, like, you know, just lurking and, you know, like trying to, to look for like, you know, secrets or whatever. Like there's a very good defense speech, how the peeping Tom is not really doing anything wrong. Like people have no right to privacy. Like you, if you have your own private property, yeah, do ahead whatever you want, but like, there's no right to privacy. You just have to make sure that you are not heard really want privacy. It's all up to you. Full responsibility, no blaming others. But yeah, there's a lot of very interesting chapters in there. So definitely that one is also very recommended. What is it? Mele says, Viva Libertad Carajo. Exactly. Exactly. By the way, one more thing that I kind of wanted to mention maybe over here, like, you know, the censorship topic, and it kind of like related to exactly like, you know, these rights, uh, that people consider that they have or not have, don't have. So like, you know, what, what was really interesting to see now, like already now a few months ago was, you know, the ocean mining, um, and it's so-called, you know, censorship or, you know, whatever inscriptions or even samurai willful transactions. That was also pretty hilarious. But you know, what I'm really disappointed is exactly like people not using the word censorship, uh, in any coherent way, or at least according to my knowledge. So like to me, like at least according to Austrian economics, like you can do with your property, whatever you want. And if you don't want to go ahead and like, for example, let everyone use your server to to communicate or you don't want, you know, to include all of the weird shitcoin stuff into your own nodes, like, you know, uh, SSD, you don't need to, it's your private property. And calling that censorship is just Im immensely like weird to me or like very vulgar. naive. It's vulgar. Yeah, like, I mean, there, if there is these, you know, like rights, the right for you to choose who do you do business with or whose data are you storing or like, who do you want to even communicate with? It is much, much higher than some weird, like social, you know, virtue signaling of like, oh, we have to accept everyone. And you know, like all data is like equal, like bullshit. This is so stupid and like naive from Bitcoiners to even say that. Like at least in my understanding, only like governments can censor things. Like only governments have basically promised like other people, some services, and they have taken the money and kind of like said that, okay, these would be available for you. But then the government might go ahead and, you know, like start restricting things. That's what I call like censorship. Everything else is just private individuals choosing who they do business with. I wouldn't say only governments. I would say all criminals and not only governments, but every criminal institution can censor, like, because it requires force. That's, that's key. Well, but I think like. For example, like Twitter, like it's a private company. And for example, if they want to go ahead and kick someone out of their platform, even though I might not like it, I think the right of them to be able to choose who they serve or who they do business with, whose data are they storing, I think it's even higher than kind of like, you know, just my opinion for the specific person. Like I cannot, I cannot explain it to myself. Like why would, let's say Twitter have to go ahead and like serve people who they don't want to. So my point was basically just that, you know, that ocean mining, in my opinion, is not really like censoring anything. Of course, Absolutely like, you know, the not. government, yeah, like the, they are like, we can call it, let's say filtering or whatever, 
And that's totally okay. They are not forced by the government to do it. So I would not call it censorship. The tricky thing, though, with, with Twitter, for instance, is when whatever decisions the, the government makes about Twitter, or like how much taxes Elon needs to pay or something, and then by proxy force force him to uh, to throw someone off of Twitter, then it is censorship. Like because yes. these things do get cap- uh, captivated by government institutions uh, very often, and especially if they get too big. So <laughs> so that's the thing. I think that's the core of the problem. That there there will always be criminals who will use force to force people to do stuff, and that's why we have the problems. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's the thing I also would like to kind of, you know, like be careful of like with the, uh, with the exact wording of like, let's say that if the government is pressuring Twitter to kick someone out, I think the government is censoring. Twitter has basically the, the option of like, you know, just shutting their whole business down because they don't want to kick one guy out of it or, you know, like they don't want to obey the government or something like that. But it's totally understandable that they probably will just go ahead and then kick out this one guy because they are pressured uh, to do so. But I think it would still, I would call it that it's Twitter's personal decision uh, to do so, even, but they are heavily like pressured to censor, but they are not like, they're not censoring. They're just choosing who they serve or what they do. Uh, It's the government that censors. And and this is so... This is so bad because everything is intertwined with government action. Like every person's every decision is colored by the fact that we have governments uh, meddling with people's lives. All right. So yeah, I had a random thought this morning about this. Is is um, is God the ultimate central planner and interventionist? I, I think that's a good question for you. I mean. I think it just depends on like, what do we think as God? Because like, like to me, the idea of like having one creator is just something that doesn't compute in my head because like, even like, you know, especially all Bitcoiners, like we have heard of the, like the concept of division of labor and the whole idea that, you know, it's just one thing or one creature that has created everything instead of like, you know, a group or, you know, multiple of gods or whatever we want to call them. I think, yeah, the having multiple things involved in the whole creation is more likely, but like, is it like centrally planned? Yeah. I mean, that's a very good question. <laughs> I, I just like the uh, and the, the there's, uh, as far as I understand, there are two religious camps when it comes to creators. And there's one that says that, uh, oh, God just did stuff before the big bang and set all the parameters. And then there's the, uh, there's the other group that thinks that they can pray and stuff and God can intervene. So either he's a great central planner or an interventionist. Uh, and why any of those two would be a good thing, I, 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 I find, um, have a hard time understanding. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I mean, I really love the, you know, was it Epicurean di- dilemma? Not dilemma, but something like that. You know, like, have you heard of the Epicurean, um, like thing regarding God. So it's basically like asking, like, is God all powerful? And if it's the world is like, if the word is yes, uh, then there is, you know, like something like the question of like, okay, well then why there is evil and like, 
why can't God basically like, you know, just destroy the evil or was he aware that there's like, you know, did he create the Satan? And if, if yes, why? Like, and like, like is Satan more powerful than God? And if not, couldn't God just go ahead and get rid of it? And, you know, like if you, like there's, there's a very good kind of like, you know, train of thought that can just try to find it quickly over here. Yeah, I, I think I heard that one. It's, it's like a, a flow chart or something, right? Yeah, it's yeah, exactly flow chart and it's uh, Epicurean paradox. So how the idea of an all knowing creature just does not make sense at all. Like it defies all logic. Oh, okay. Yeah. So evil exists. Yes. So can God prevent evil? If no, then God is not all powerful. If yes, does God know about all the evil? If if no, then God is not all-knowing. If yes, does the God want to prevent evil? If no, then God is not good and he is not loving. But if he wants to prevent evil, then why is there some evil? Yeah, so the answers could be like, you know, to test us. But if God is all-knowing, he should know what we would do if we were tested. Therefore, there is no need to test us. Yeah, you know, there's this like very interesting uh, flow chart exactly about like how a single all-knowing thing, probably like, you know, not the likeliest. No, it's, it's basically, it's basically about cognitive dissonance and, uh, you know, back to thinking fast and slow again and why our brains are flawed. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we want to have that weird piece, just like with relationships. Like, you know, it's, it's just that we feel so bad when there's a void, when there's, when you don't know. And, you know, like when you, when you're alone, that's, that is really kind of depressing and like, it's a big pressure, but trying to come up with like crazy stories just to, you know, come up with a patch to make yourself like a little bit happier. I mean, sure, if it helps you go ahead, but just like, I think I said it in a previous episode of ours, like, you know, runners seem to know that. People don't need laws uh, to make them act properly. Like, you know, the, the responsible people will know how to act properly. The same thing goes with like all of these weird God stories. Like if you are moral, like you will be moral anyway. You don't need to hear like a weird stories about like, you know, random bearded guys splitting oceans and multiplying fish and bread and shit like that. There's a great Kurzgesagt video called Optimistic Nihilism about this, that there is a, like they're making a case for a, um, a worldview, which accepts that, you know, in 4 billion years, the sun will eat us all and we're probably never getting out of here and that everything is pointless, but that might not necessarily be a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, in yeah, fact, yeah. It, it might be what gives uh, a lifetime its value, that there is no meaning. You can make it yourself and you can. Since it's scarce, you have a scarce amount of a finite amount of time. That's what makes it valuable, and I like that. Uh, hey, so so um, yeah, we've dug into a whole bunch of topics. Uh, I think I could either just toss it back to you. Any last thoughts, or at, maybe uh, maybe just to get in a little bit of uh, practical conversation. What's what's going on at uh, Wasabi ZK Snacks these days? Okay, so. Uh, and there's a lot of things going on. So you guys have might probably heard already that uh, well, like two of our original founders, so Nopora and Balint, 
Uh, they both now uh, left the project uh, to work on other things. Well, they're also getting, you know, like increasing the family size and, you know, things like that. So uh, they're taking their time off. And well, basically now the project seems to be moving into a bit of different direction. So instead of just trying to make a very newbie friendly wallet uh, that is very easy by default, uh, like now we're kind of like moving into more of this, like let's have an easy default but we also have to have the optional insight and the control options for the users. So we want to be able to kind of actually show what does what was like Wabi Sabi allow users to do, what is going on in their coin joints and everything, and for even them to be able to tweak things. This is of course like, you know, a, there's a risk to it. So one of the biggest feedbacks that we got with 1.0 was exactly that even though we warned people for not doing the bad actions or stupid actions, they did them anyway. And people then blamed Wasabi for, you know, like not re like restricting the users from not doing, you know, stupid things. Well, we now restricted it, but I don't think that's the best way to go. I think, well, Bitcoiners should be responsible. They should, and they like, they should know how things are working more or less. They should do their research. They should be able to like, you know, learn how UTXO model works and how do you actually get some privacy in mainchain. It's, it should not be just like a black box and you just trust it. So yeah, we're taking that risk again and I'm kind of pretty happy uh, with the direction. So there's going to be, you know, like we're going to be working on like making payments in CoinJoin now in the probably near future. So it's not really like a big privacy improvement, but it's but it's definitely like an efficiency improvement. Um, well, I mean, we also actually do have like a, re a release coming up probably now inside a week or something, which is basically like a, a half a year of work that we have put out there. Uh, we have not made, you know, like a, a proper release now for half a year other than to buy anything but them. That was kind of like a, just a totally separate, uh, you know, thing that we added in and put out this version. This upcoming 2.0.6, it will have a huge amount of performance improvements, new RPC calls. Uh, yeah, all kind of really good, good things. Mm. But yeah, and especially like, you know, uh, well, I would say that, you know, keep an eye on the next few releases. There's going to be a lot of very cool stuff. Cool. Great to hear. Um, yeah, the by anything, that's the collaboration with shopping bit, right? Uh, Yes, yes. So we basically wanted to allow uh, users who are worried that they don't want to go ahead and coin join because they don't know if their exchanges will give them problem, like troubles for having some private or coin join coin. So what we wanted to do instead is to basically, you know, cut off that fiat exchange, like, you know, off ramp. We don't need that. Like, let's actually endorse, you know, circle or Bitcoin economy. Let's allow people to buy basically anything legal, uh, like with their private Bitcoin in the most private possible way. So like, you know, it, like we do still have like all of the communication that you uh, like, you know, have with the concierge through the buy anything button that will all go through for, and it's only between like uh, the client and shopping bit. Like for example, ZK Snacks doesn't know anything about it. It's none of their business anyway, but this will basically allow you to talk with a concierge with 
or on by default. So you don't have to worry about like your IP addresses also leaking into the wrong place. And I mean, we cannot teleport you stuff. Like that's something that we haven't yet figured out. So we like, you know, of course the concierge service will need some kind of an address where to send and ship the stuff. But the good parts of it is also that like, let's say you have, you know, like 10 different items all over the world from different countries, different vendors that you are interested in buying. Instead of you having to go ahead and like actually negotiate them with them yourself to be able to buy in Bitcoin. And then you have to send all of the 10 different people, all of your like, you know, uh, mailing information. Now you can just go ahead and basically send it to, uh, through this concierge service or in Wasabi and you send it to one person who will then go ahead and order everything you need from all of these different places all over the world. And they will not use your shipping address. They will like shopping bit will be basically ordering all of the stuff that you want to their warehouse where they can also go ahead and repackage it, uh, to make sure that packages are actually private and then they will only ship it to you. So there is no need to share your address or, you know, like any of that stuff with a lot of different merchants. So it's a, it's a very cool kind of like, you know, a virtual assistant that can get you a lot of stuff. Of course, like there's a huge demand for it. So now it's like restricted that I think the order should be like in total above thousand dollars or something like that. But there seems to be definitely like a lot of demand for, for these kind of like Bitcoin services. Cool. So yeah, we'll keep an eye out for the updates for sure. And uh, you'll have to DM me when, whenever the tele- where you figure out teleportation uh, and how to do that. Yeah. We'll do, we'll do. <laughs> Two weeks. All right. Hey, Rafa, this has been fantastic. Always great to have you on. And uh, now I, I, I think I think we're, we're wrapping up. So uh, can you just uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and uh, Wasabi and uh, anything else you'd like to mention here at the end? Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, it doesn't really matter who I am. So forget about that. So just go ahead and check out Wasabi, buy Bitcoin and eat some shrooms. That's basically all that I want to say. All right. Well, uh, we'll get working on all, all three as soon as possible, Luke, won't we? Absolutely. And yeah. uh, I think the only add-ons are like, subscribe, and brush your teeth. Right, Knut? Absolutely. And ring the damn bell. Take care, folks. All right. This has been the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for listening. <laughs>